So focusing in on uh, these, these different names that Isaiah prophesies about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And we have been uh, in our journey ascribing uh, this prophecy to Christ. And, 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 and because we're used to hearing uh, a passage of Scripture like this uh, at Christmas time, we can uh, be, become so familiar with it that we begin to uh, not really pay attention to what it's saying. And so the goal of this uh, just, just short, short sermon series has been to help us slow down and really consider and, and get all the nutritional value that we can in, in our time together from this passage of Scripture so that we can see Christ more clearly and so that our worship and our devotion to Him would grow deeper. But allow me to read this passage of Scripture, and uh, then I'm going to pray, and then we are going to consider together this morning why this passage is so wonderful. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, Isaiah prophesies under the inspiration of the Spirit, says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever. And I love how this concludes. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Right? It's grounded in God's very character. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us to gather this Lord's Day, Lord, on Christmas morning. And to be able to worship you, to be able to open your book that you inspired, that you breathed out, Lord, that you've preserved Lord, that we sit and open this morning, God, and we ask that your spirit would speak to us through your written word here and that you would use your word to conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Prince of Peace is where we're ending our series in Isaiah 9, verse, verses 6 and 7, Prince of Peace. I, I looked up synonyms for that word peace this week, and, and I found the words tranquility, calmness, restfulness, noiselessness, silence, harmony, and order. Some of the synonyms. Right? When you hear those synonyms, you or at least when I hear them, I, I can't help also but to think of their counters, right? Their, their opposites, the anonyms, the noise, irritation, conflict, discord, distress, worry, hatred, and war. Now, which of those, which of these words seem to describe our society at large? presently. Which of those words as we, as we consider them? But even more specifically, since we're all gathered here this morning, which of these words would you use to describe 
what's presently happening in your inner person, in your very soul this morning. Peace or war, inner noise or calm, restfulness or worry, harmony or hatred. The, the, the more that I reflect on this idea of peace, the, the clearer it becomes to me that, that this is what every single person that's ever been created is chasing in some shape, form, or fashion, right? And, and, and in this quest for peace, this desire for some sort of inner calmness, this stillness, this tranquility, many people run to various things that promise peace, but instead give some sort of temporal imposter peace, right? Some sort of counterfeit peace. And by counterfeit peace, what I even really mean is some temporary escape, if you will. Right? That's what's behind various addictions, sins, as the Bible puts it. And in this pursuit of, of counterfeit peace, this imposter peace that we could call escape, if you will, we, in our pursuit of that, we warm up to those things that, that aren't good for us, those things that transgress God's law. And we do that in an effort to try and soothe ourselves or silence our conscience, silence the inner storm that's perhaps raging in our very souls. And this can manifest itself in things like over-drinking, right, overeating, abusing prescription drugs, unhealthy amounts of, of social media and entertainments, comparing ourselves to other people to help make ourselves feel better, or using illegal intoxicating drugs, or engaging in, in sinful, enslaving sexual sins that, that, again, all promise some sort of escape. There's a promise there, right? These pursuits come with a promise. It's a false promise, but it's a promise of, of relief, of calmness, of peace. But in the end, these things, they leave you empty, right? They leave you more enslaved, not free, and they leave you with less peace every time you take the bait. They lead you on a path of despair, not toward the, good, good, the, the green pastures that your good shepherd will lead you on. And this message of, of pseudo-peace, of counterfeit peace, it's preached to you and me as we're tempted by various struggles in life. Or, and it's, it's preached to us by the devil himself, who the Apostle Peter, on the inspiration of Scripture, describes him as a roaring lion, right, seeking to devour us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And the way out, the way out of this devouring sort of peaceless cycle, if you will, this endless exhausting chase, according to that same passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, is watchfulness and sobriety. Watchfulness and sobriety, a, a, uh, a sober-mindedness is the way out. And so this morning, we're going to, by God's grace, we're going to seek to be sober-minded on this issue of peace, which in the Hebrew means a state of, of soundness or wholeness, of means well-being or deliverance or salvation. And as we've been journeying through this section in Isaiah, and as I've already said this morning, 
Right? We're going to see why it is that Christ is the fulfillment, is the one who brings us peace. Right? Why it is that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Prince of Peace. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and we've included this in your worship guide, just in case you don't, you're not able to jot this down too quickly. And kids, we have a little bulletin for you as well that you can take notes on and you can use your mom's and dad's guide as kind of a cheat sheet if you would like to take notes as well. But the first thing that we need to consider is that Jesus is peace incarnate. Jesus is peace incarnate. Before we look at how Jesus brought peace, we have to see primarily that Jesus brought peace because Jesus is peace, right? He is peace. I'm going to show you this passage in more detail in just a moment, but for now, I want you to see how Paul argues for Christ bringing peace by just giving you a snippet. It's Ephesians chapter 2, the first part of verse 14 says this, for he, and he's reminded the church of Ephesus, right? And by the Holy Spirit of God, he's reminded Deer Park Fellowship 2,000 plus years later, for he himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. If you want peace, you have to look to Christ, who is himself peace. This is why the angels could make such a, a bold pronouncement regarding the incarnation of Jesus, right? We read it in our call to worship this morning, but the angel said, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Some of your translations say on earth peace among whom, uh, with those with whom he is pleased. The angels announced peace on earth. Why? Because peace came to earth, right, 2,000 plus years ago. The, the eternal God stepped into our world by taking on, as we've sang about this morning, taking on frail human flesh. And because he is peace, he brought peace with him. Right? Kids, some of you are opening up presents today or some of you opened up presents yesterday because of that greatest gift. That greatest gift, the eternal God becoming man. The eternal God becoming man. That's the significance of Christmas. That's why we celebrate. But that's not all. Right? There's a reason that Jesus became man. Right? There's a reason that Jesus is peace incarnate. There's, and he made peace in a very particular way. Right? How, how did Jesus make peace? That's the second thing we need to see this morning. Jesus, he... He made peace by the blood of his cross. He made peace by the blood of his cross. Three passages for us this morning, just to set our minds straight on this, to, to as the Apostle Paul talks about us, or renew our minds on this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with who? With God. Right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Romans 5.1. We're looking at more closely Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 here. Starting with or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16 here. This is, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's all of us, right? That's all of us. You who were once far off have been brought near, okay? Not by works done in righteousness, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We'll look at this passage a little bit more closely. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. For it pleased the Father that in him, right, all, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Right, Colossians 1, 19 to 20. And these three passages remind us that Jesus accomplished peace first and foremost between us and God. Right? Again, we were transgressors. Right? That's why the eternal God became a man. That is why Jesus is peace incarnate. And again, we'll flesh that out more here in a moment, but he made peace between us and God. Secondly, he made peace us with one another as well, tearing down walls of hostility. Christ did this. Now, I mentioned this in our Lord's Supper devotional last week, but if Jesus is peace, right, and if Jesus made peace, why is there so much conflict in our world? And if Jesus is peace and Jesus made peace, why is there so much conflict in our world? And the reason gets back to what I made mention of at the beginning of the sermon this morning. It's because many people look everywhere and to everyone except Christ for peace. In other words, everybody wants peace, right? Because that desire is written on the hearts of man in the same way that eternity, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, eternity is written on the hearts of man. But they have to, you, me, we have to come through Jesus in repentance and faith in order to get it. In other words, peace with God and peace with man comes through Jesus Christ alone. That's the only path of peace. That's it. No other way. I think for a moment of all the ways that particular injustices in our society have been addressed and how often those results are disastrous. Why are they disastrous? Well, it's because God made the world and the world operates peacefully according to his means, according to his methods. Not ours, not ours. And we, oftentimes in our own arrogance and our own pride, we think that we can manipulate things. Right? The, the path to peace, it isn't a political path. It's not a political path. The path to peace isn't one that you can solve by force. Right? The path to peace doesn't come through uh, manipulation tactics and, and scheming, nor can you find peace by numbing yourself into a slumber and pretending that things aren't bad, right? Peace comes through the Lord Jesus Christ who came into his world, his world. This is his world as a man. Now, I want to demonstrate the, just the powerful nature of pe the peace of Christ just by looking further at that Colossians 1 passage. Now, the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he, he's writing to a church called Colossae, and he, he's reminding them, A, that, that Jesus is truly God, okay, all the fullness of deity 
dwells in Christ, right? He's, he's truly God. He's truly man. Two natures, one person. Okay? That's, that's Jesus. And secondly, that peace was accomplished through Jesus alone, which means, again, we cultivate peace in our lives. We cultivate peace in our churches. We cultivate peace in our very culture through Jesus, through Jesus. Now, the peace that Jesus accomplished, it was bloody. It was bloody. It was violent. Our sin had to be dealt with violently. We, we, we get pictures of this throughout the Old Testament as we read about the sacrificial, the Levitical sacrificial system in the Old Testament, but the culmination of that is on the cross. And, and I'm not just speaking about the physical torments of Jesus, but rather even more so the, the unseen spiritual torments of God's wrath being poured out for our sin right, including all of those ways that we seek counterfeit peace, that being paid for by Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus, truly God, became a man, more human than any of us have ever been because Christ is what man should have been, and Christ is what man will one day be in glory. But in his becoming a man, in Christ's becoming a man, he took on our hostilities, He he took on our hostilities against God and against each other. He took on our sins. He took them on, and in doing so, he satisfied the righteous judgment, the righteous wrath of God for our sins. You've heard me say this before, but our sins, they aren't insignificant, right? We shouldn't be flipping about it. It's not a, a no big deal. Sorry about that, right? If we're thinking that way, it's because we've been deceived, Right? Our sins, our evils demand judgment. They demand judgment. And our God, our triune God is uncompromisingly just. He's just. He's holy. He isn't like us. He's not like us. Our sins are, are cosmic treason and they have to be dealt with in the cosmic courtroom of God. And for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins, that cosmic courtroom was a cross. It was a cross. That's where God judged our sin. And instead of us receiving the penalty for our sin, God in his grace and his mercy judged Christ in our stead, in our place. How humbling is that? How incredible is that? Though we deserve the eternal judgment of God in hell, God instead judges Jesus for us, for you and for me. Jesus received what we deserved. He received what we earned. And what did we receive? What did we get? We received what Jesus earned, right? nothing that we deserve. Right? Jesus is a man upheld God's glorious standard. He upheld God's law, and the Holy Spirit of God has applied the glorious person and work of Jesus Christ to our lives. That's why we celebrate Christmas, right? That's why we celebrate Christmas. For those of us who are walking in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, our lives are hidden in Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, we share union with Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, right? His righteousness is our righteousness. 
His spilled blood covers us for all eternity. It covers every sin that we've committed in the past. It covers every sin that we committed on the way to Lord's Day worship this morning. Right? It covers every sin that we've yet to commit. Right? Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And the proof that this actually happened is found in an empty tomb. It's found in an empty tomb. Christ didn't just die. Right? He didn't just descend. He bodily and eternally resurrected from the dead. And when he physically resurrected, we spiritually resurrected with him. Eli Williams is going to get baptized in a few moments. And that is what baptism is preaching to us. Our union with Jesus, our spiritual resurrection connected to his bodily resurrection, which proves that we, according to Romans chapter 4, verse 25, are really justified So Jesus made peace, and according to that passage in Colossians, he has reconciled to himself all things in heaven, again, what we can't see, and everything on earth, what we can see, right? In other words, the peace of Jesus is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Just as we saw last week that the curse through the first Adam was comprehensive. So we see the comprehensive nature of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not only is Christ's salvific work comprehensive, but it's more potent, right? It's more powerful than the curse. It rolls back the curse, right? We've sung this already this month. Joy to the world. One of my favorite lyrics ever written is found in that song. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the what? The curse is found, right? Jesus began that work in his incarnation, and he will finish that work when he returns. And he makes everything new, definitively undoing the curse. So Jesus, he, he made peace by the blood of his cross. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a Christian, and let me define what it means for us to be a Christian and in case there's any confusion a Christian isn't somebody who has it all together. That's not what a Christian is. Right? A Christian isn't a good moral person. Right? A Christian is somebody who acknowledge their, acknowledges their sins according to the Scripture. And in acknowledging their sin according to the Scripture, repents, turns away from their sins. And in turning from sin, at the same time, trusts, rests, finds peace in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. What kind of sinners does the gospel of God extend to? What kind of sinners does it extend to? In other words, what kind of sinners does Christ save? Paul answers this well for us. Again, under the inspiration of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Stop there for just a moment. Look over that list again. Do you see yourself there? Do you see yourself there? That list is given in such a way that none of us are off the hook if we're being honest. But don't just look at that list. Ask yourself, do you agree with God's word about the state of your soul 
apart from the intervening work of Jesus Christ? Do you agree with God's word, right? Do you see that you are according to God's glorious standard, a standard that's grounded in his unchanging character, by the way, a a standard that we're not authorized to, to change or question or modify or critique. We're a creature. He's creator. But do you see that you've transgressed God's law and accordingly have disinherited yourself from eternal life? When I look at this list, I see myself there. I see myself there. I've transgressed God's law. And if I'm judged according to my own biography, according to the biography of Joey Tomlinson, I will stand before God condemned. I will. But Paul goes on, and I'm really thankful for verse 11, aren't you? Because he reminds the church of Corinth, and thus us, so many years later, some of the sweetest words of Scripture And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I feel peace when I read that statement. I feel peace. Such were some of you. As I'm reminded of the condition of my soul apart from Christ, that I'm a sinner deserving of an eternal hell, I'm reminded at the same time that Jesus in his incarnation came to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. So let me ask you this morning, are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? I remember many years ago reading a book in which uh, it's a story of a, a, a mom and her son coming to faith in Christ. And I remember she, she, as I read the book, she was probably in her mid-50s. And, uh, and when the Lord saved her, she, she skipped down the street happily, shouting, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. There's freeness in coming to that realization because God in Christ is, is such a great Savior. So if you're a sinner this morning, there is good news for you. Christ came to seek and save you. And so let's be encouraged by that. And our salvation that's been provided is one that's grounded in God's unchanging character. Jesus, truly the Prince of Peace for those who come to him in repentance and in faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for our time together in Isaiah chapter 9. And Lord, I pray for the believers in this room, Lord, that you would comfort us in Christ, God, that we would be reminded this morning that peace comes from Jesus alone, who is our peace, God, and that it's a gift from you. And we give you all praise and glory for that. I pray for those in this room this morning who may not know you. I ask that your Holy Spirit, God, would save them. Give them a heart of flesh, God that they may confess Christ as Lord. And God, I pray, Lord, as we go into these ordinances, these sacraments, God, that you would remind us, Lord, through these pictures of the sufficiency of Christ in our union with him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we are, um, and I cannot think of a better way to celebrate Christmas than to have a baptism this morning. 
And so we are going to baptize Eli Williams this morning, um, who is, is identifying with our visible church. And the emphasis as we watch Eli be baptized, and I want to encourage you to remember your baptism, but the emphasis isn't on uh, a decision, not even on his profession. The emphasis is on God's covenant faithfulness and saving his people and our union, our eternal union with Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you're reminded of that this morning as we celebrate the work that the Lord is doing in his people. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing holy, holy, holy together, and then we're going to baptize Eli, and then we are going to take the Lord's Supper together, and this will be Eli's first Lord's Supper uh, with us this morning. And so let's sing holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy.
Amen. Amen to that. I suppose I need to pull this up. Can you imagine a better way than by the confession of faith that Eli has made in his baptism this morning to celebrate this beautiful Christmas day? And all the people, all the beloved of Deer Park said, Amen. Okay, you're with me. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his grace and his goodness. Father, you are the Holy One. We are both humbled 